Well, Father, we pray that this is a time for you to speak to us. We thank you that you have spoken to us through your word. We thank you for the opportunity to open it up and to explain the scriptures. And we pray that as it does, that it will be your Holy Spirit who will convict and encourage and help us to know how to love you more fully and completely. I pray that this message will uh, encourage uh, the faint-hearted, maybe at times uh, admonish the unruly and help the weak, and that you will just patiently do a wonderful work in us all. In Christ's name, amen. Well, a chronic disease is a persistent condition that lasts for more than three months. It is estimated that 63% of all deaths are a result of a chronic disease, and chronic disease would include diabetes, hypertension, uh, long COVID is kind of a new one, some of the GI issues that come along with it, eczema. And when they did a study, they found that 60% of adults in the United States have one chronic disease. Isn't that interesting? They did a study and they found out that 40% of adults have two chronic diseases, right? These are the diseases that never seem to go away. And there's something about a disease that can change your life, right? When you caught COVID, remember that first wave when rumor had it that so-and-so had COVID? We would quarantine them. You had mentioned, yeah, I just got out over COVID and people would kind of take a step back from you. Why aren't you wearing a mask, right? And there's even that silent judgment. Oh, well, it's because you weren't following these mandates. You didn't do this. You didn't do this, right? And that all had this effect of maybe isolating people. You know, a lot of times when you are dealing with a chronic disease, there's the um, kind of the silent judgment that you feel from people, like, what did you do? Is this a result of some bad life choices that you have made? Have you not been taking care of your health? Have you not done due diligence to try this cure or this cure? And then there's the loneliness that you might feel because no one seems to understand what you're going through, especially when you don't have an identifiable disease, right? Like what's Lyme disease? No one really knows and try to explain it to people. It seems to be a kind of a lost cause. Virginia Woolf once wrote that English which can express the thoughts of Hamlet and the tragedy of Lear, has no words for the shiver and the headache. The merest schoolgirl, when she falls in love, has Shakespeare or Keats to speak her mind for her. But let a sufferer try to describe a pain in his head to a doctor and language at once runs dry. I mean, sickness is a scourge at every level. It impacts not only your physical health, but your emotional health and your spiritual health, and it often brings people to a point of of desperation. But there is good news. This good news presented itself in Israel 2,000 years ago, and we read about it in Luke 4, 38 through 44. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had 
any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and he healed them. The demons also came out of many crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Now, Jesus just performed two miracles on the same day. The first one was expelling a demon in the synagogue. And then the second was casting out a fever and healing a very sick mother-in-law. And then he spent the entire night ministering to the masses, healing them. Now, everyone would say this is good news, right? There is a healer in our midst. And they believe that the good news was linked to their physical health. And you can understand that, right? I mean, if you are really sick, all you can think about is the pain you feel, the fever you have, the dread of what the sickness can become. And, and to think that someone could come around and heal you would be the best news, right? But what's fascinating about this passage is that Jesus brings an end to the healing ministry because he didn't want it to get in the way of the best news. When you say, I have good news to you, if you have chronic sickness, the immediate response is what? Oh, a healing. But you know what the good news really is? The good news goes beyond healing to the best news, which is there's a kingdom and there's a king, and there's going to be a new era where all sickness and disease will be gone. And that's hard to remember when you're sick. And so what we're going to do today is I, I want to help you guys to look beyond healing uh, to the healing king, if you will. And we're going to just kind of walk through this passage. We're going to talk about the nature of the healing, the response of the healing, and the priority of the healing. And all of this is to kind of help you guys, and young people, your time of chronic illness will come, although many of you have it. Many of you have it, right? It's like when you, you, when you have this pain that is dominating, changing your life, how do you get beyond it? Okay, we'll kind of wrap up the sermon with that. But let's look at the nature of this healing, starting verse 38. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. Now remember, Jesus showed up at the synagogue. He read the scriptures. He was about to give an exposition when, when a demonically... Uh, filled man, a man who was possessed by a demon, stood up and began to challenge Jesus. And Jesus said, shut up to the demon, get out of here. And he fell to the ground and he arose unharmed. And everyone's just going, whoa, right? What just happened here? Now, if you see that, you know that this is a man with tremendous power. He is a force to be reckoned with. And, and Peter, some others, had an idea. Peter's mother-in-law is in the house with a raging fever. Now, one thing about chronic illness is they didn't really have as much of it back then because usually when you got sick, it either resolved itself quickly or you die, right? And so she is 
has a raging fever, and, and Peter is very concerned for her and his wife. She is likely a widow because she's living with Peter and not her husband. She is helpless. He sees this miracle, so he and others appeal to Jesus. Do you think you can help us, Jesus? And he agrees. He agrees. He's about to minister to a woman with a very high fever. Now, have you guys ever had like the raging fever? Not like cold fever, but raging fever. There was a number of years ago, I contracted strep throat, and I don't know what I was running, but I was not thinking straight. I got up in the middle of the night, and I ran a super hot bath because I thought the way to fight a fever was with a higher fever. You fight fire with fire. And I was going to basically boil this fever out of me, and I think my wife stopped me just in time. But I was delirious, right? I mean, when you're sick, that's all that you can think about, right? Is I remember the days when I felt well. It seemed so long ago. When I didn't throw up my food when I ate it. When it felt good to be outside and people weren't afraid of me like I had the plague. And so Jesus engages. Verse 39. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve him, serve them. So Jesus stands over this tortured woman. And he rebukes the fever. And that's kind of odd, right? Uh, some people speculate that, well, maybe Peter's mother-in-law was demon-possessed because he rebukes the fever. And, and it is true that often illness and demon possession go together, but whenever Luke talks about it in his gospel, he makes it very clear that the sickness was brought about by a demon. Instead, this is like Jesus, remember when he stood on the, on the boat and re rebuked the wind and the waves? He basically told the earth, you need to behave here. There's a new king in town. He stands over this woman and he rebukes the demon, not the demon, he rebukes the sickness. Get out of here. And immediately, she gets up. This is not like a turning point or anything. She immediately feels better. She wakes up, I've never felt better in my life. Where's the pita bread and hummus? I'm waiting on my guest. It's immediate. It is quick. It is complete. See, a lot of times we have like the cynical view of faith healers, right? Where they only heal bad backs and migraines and, and maybe heart palpitations. And, and you might be a little bit uh, cynical because they kind of cull the masses to see who can be held, helped and who can't be. Well, Jesus, this is like, he heals what's called an organic disease. There really was a fever and the fever is gone. The person really was blind He's no longer blind. He was deaf. He's no longer deaf. She was a leper. She's no longer a leper. When Jesus heals, he's not limited by a certain bandwidth of certain miracles he might be able to do. These are true, complete healings where he's pushing back on the curse. So people have just saw a miracle. And somehow on the Sabbath day, word is starting to get around. And you see the response in verse 40. Now, when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, 
And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And the demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Christ. So word of this healing spread all over Galilee, and when the sun sets, the Sabbath day is over. They reckon their days from sunset to sunset. So now that the sun is set, we don't have to rest anymore. We can make a long journey. And so parents would get their blind son. Uh, Those who were crippled would limp their way to Capernaum. Word spread among the lepers and the leper colonies that apparently somebody got healed of a fever. And so out of the woodwork, these people are just showing up. And, and here Jesus was formally enjoying this meal, enjoying the fellowship. And all night, this is amazing, until the sun came up, from when the sun came down to the sun came up, he was laying hands on them. Kind of an unusual approach. Normally that wasn't accompanied with healing but there's this idea that he, he touches them, touches these sick people. Almost, you, you kind of feel the compassion there, where he's not going to isolate them. He draws himself close to them. And the viruses leave the body. The bacteria are cast out. The atrophied muscles are, are, are strengthened. Organs are reforged. Fevers disappear. Demons are being cast out. And as they're being cast out, they're trying to sabotage Jesus' ministry by letting everybody know, hey, this is the Christ. Because he wants the masses, you know, Satan wanted the masses to basically set the agenda for Jesus' ministry, right? If he's the Christ, then they'll try to make him the king, a king of their own imagination. And what's interesting about all this is that Jesus is very aware Now, he is very careful that I don't want people calling me king because they don't know what that means yet. They want a political messiah, not a real one. So he rebukes the demons because he doesn't want them setting the agenda. But now he also makes another decision where he withdraws from the masses because he senses that they're trying to set his agenda. So he pulls away to pray. So you see the priority of healing, verse 42. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And when people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. So he labors all night, all night. Everyone is making the journey and you would do the same thing, wouldn't you? But then he withdraws and everyone is like, well, well, where is he? right? Jesus was the healthcare system in Capernaum, right? Everybody might have been healthy, but what happens next week? Uh, Jesus, uh, we've been looking all over you, uh, looking all over for you, and um, where are you going? Why don't you stay here and just continue this healing ministry? This is great, right? These are people setting the agenda for Jesus, Because they saw the healing, the healing was the best news in their mind. They weren't able to look beyond the healing like Jesus was. But Jesus reorients the priorities. He says in verse 43, But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose, And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. 
He's going to expand the scope and minister to the South. He says, you know what? I love healing. I love it that you are healed. But I have a greater mission. My job is to preach the kingdom of God. Now, kingdom is one of those church words, isn't it? Seek first the kingdom of heaven. Need to have a kingdom mindset. We need to grow God's kingdom. You go through all the parables, and Jesus is talking about how the kingdom of God is like this or like that. And I think sometimes we can just take for granted of, oh, yeah, the kingdom. In your mind, you're thinking about fairy tales or the United Kingdom. You think about kings. So what exactly is meant by a kingdom as, as Jesus describes it? Well, a kingdom is kind of, it's a realm. You know, it's a dominion. It's a place of rule. And in a general sense, this whole earth is God's kingdom. We read in, hold on a second, Psalm 103, 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. So in one sense, right, God is sovereign. He is the king. Everything is under his control. But at the same time, remember when Jesus was tempted by Satan and he took him to that high mountain and Satan said, these are all the kingdoms of the world which I can give to you? There's another sense where right now there is a kingdom of Satan who is ruling over this world and that will be resolved by an invasion. We read of this invasion in Daniel Chapter 7, where Daniel gives us a glimpse into the future. In 7, 13 through 14, Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. Familiar term. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So there's going to be this invasion and there's going to be a kingdom come, right? When you pray the Lord's Prayer, do you know what you're praying for? You're praying for this reality. Isaiah prophesies about the future and this future king in Isaiah 9-7. At the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with the righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And so there is this future kingdom. Now, if you were to talk to Israel, they would think of the kingdom this way. They were invaded by the Romans. The Romans and Caesar were ruling them, and they looked forward to the son of David, the Messiah, to rule in their place. And so what Jesus is doing is he's trying to fix their understanding of the kingdom. That's priority number one. That's why he doesn't want the demons advertising that he's the king, because it's feeding this misperception. So there's three things about Jesus' kingdom he's trying to get across. Number one, the kingdom is future. It's future. Right? When he talks about how there will be this invasion when the Son of Man returns, that is a future invasion. When he teaches the disciples to pray, it's pray for thy kingdom come. 
This is going to be a time where the lion will lie down with the lamb. There will be peace. There will be what we call the manifest reign of Christ, that Jesus will actually be on this earth ruling, not invisibly, but visibly ruling. We call this the manifest kingdom. Secondly, entrance into this future kingdom is equated with eternal life. So if somebody enters the kingdom, they're invited into the kingdom, they inherit the kingdom, they also inherit eternal life. Luke 18, 25 through 26, after the rich young man says, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, sell all that you have and give to the poor. He's basically calling them out for repentance, repenting of your covetousness. He says, for it is easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, then who can be saved? Right? To be saved is to enter the kingdom. So it's future, it's eternal, but it's also personal and present. And this is really interesting. In Luke eleven twenty, Jesus is talking about expelling demons. And he says this, but if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God will come upon you. So get this. When Jesus cast out a demon, that demon no longer has control or reign in the life of that individual. But what will have dominion and reign in the life of that individual is King Jesus. So in a sense... The kingdom of God expands whenever somebody trusts Christ. Does that make sense? And so Jesus is trying to expand this kingdom to bring about the good news that there's going to be a future kingdom that's going to be available for everyone. Remember when he preached in the synagogue in Nazareth? How he summarized some quotes from Isaiah? He says this in Luke 4, 18 through 19. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then right after that, he talks about liberating the oppressed. And what does he do? He cast out a demon. A man who was possessed and oppressed by a demon is expelled. And then he heals somebody with a deadly fever who was under that curse. They were oppressed by the fever, and Jesus releases them. See, what he's doing is he's doing a, a worldwide restoration. Now, when you think about Jesus' miracles, if you were to say Jesus' miracles were just to show his power, he could have done that by levitating across the Dead Sea, right? He could have done some magic tricks like making the Statue of Liberty disappear, right? If he wanted to just show his power, that's what he could have done. But what's interesting about all of his miracles is that his miracles push back on the curse. They're often a confrontation with what we call the fall. So to raise somebody from the dead, right, you need to have a dead person. 
to calm a deadly storm, you have to have a deadly storm. To heal somebody who is blind, they have to be blind. And so God has allowed different reminders of the curse to be sprinkled throughout society. And what Jesus does is he takes on that curse, he takes on that curse, he confronts that curse, and he says there's more where this is coming from. Because in the future, there's going to be a great grand kingdom where there'll be no pain and no suffering and no enemy. He will vanquish sin and death. Now let's say that you have a headache. You try to sleep it off, and that doesn't work, and so you take Tylenol. And that works for a while. And then you think, well, it's still not working. I'll take two Tylenol. I'll take Tylenol and Advil. I'll get a prescription. And the whole time, what you're trying to do is address the pain. Now, is that a wise course of action? Wouldn't it be helpful to know if you have a brain tumor? Or perhaps there's something physically wrong with you? I mean, pain is your body's way of telling you, you need to do something about this. This is not good. Well, here's another step. Wouldn't it be wise to ask, why is there pain and sickness to begin with? Because, you know, that was never part of the original design. In Genesis 1.31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. See, when God created the world, he created it as good. And pain was not part of the original design. You see, pain entered the world when Adam and Eve were duped by Satan, ate the forbidden fruit, rebelled against him, and then they were cursed. That curse was pain during childbirth. That curse involved Adam working the ground with thorns and thistles, both painful, until he would be buried in the ground through a laborious death. Pain is a foreign invader. And all of this world is under bondage, and they're, they're saying something's not right with this world. Romans 8, 20 through 23. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have been the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly await for the adoption of sons and the redemption of our bodies. Right? Pain is God's way of letting you know that there's something wrong with this world. And so we could try to ease the pain. We could get theoretically a healing but you're eventually going to die of something, agreed? Unless the Lord comes back. Pain is a reminder that sin has intruded into this world. 
And what Jesus did on the cross is he underwent a painful death. It was kind of interesting to think that that was the last pain he ever experienced was on the cross. As he took the wrath of God that was intended for you upon himself, the punishment of death and all that leads to death was also placed upon him. And then he was raised from the dead with a new body that will never experience pain, showing that he not only conquered death, he conquered pain, he conquered sickness, never to die again, and all those who believe in him will live forever. All right, that's the best news, right? We can heal you here and there, but you're just going to die of something else. You see, what Jesus was trying to help these people understand is that, yeah, I'm here now, and I can heal you now, and I can keep on healing you, but you're eventually going to succumb unless you give your life to me, become a follower, become a member of my kingdom, and then you will enter a world where you will never die again. Death will be dead forever. Right? That's the good news, and that's the hope, right? But you have to look beyond the healing to get there. Now, for those of you who might be suffering right now, uh, I don't want to have the application point be, just be patient, you'll die soon, right? That's, <laughs> that, that doesn't preach too well. So what do you do? Well, I've got a, some exhortations here. Number one is to remember that Jesus hates sickness. Jesus hates sickness. Remember how he rebuked the sickness? Do you know why he hates sickness? Because he hates death. He hates death so much that he put death to death on the cross. Okay, he hates it. He's with you. He understands pain. He knows what pain feels like. He hates it. Secondly, Jesus still uses sickness. He uses sickness. The sickness of others was a way of demonstrating that he is the true and worthy king, that he is the Messiah, that there's a new kingdom that's coming. I think about Paul. Paul was not a wimp, but he suffered much. And there's a time when he was experiencing some sort of affliction. He calls it a thorn in his flesh. And, and there's some debate about whether or not it was an actual physical suffering or maybe relational suffering or some sort of persecution, but it's interesting that he uses the term thorn in the flesh. You guys ever, ever had a thorn in the flesh? It doesn't feel good, does it? And this is what he says. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, for I am weak. When I'm weak, then I am strong. God gave him the weakness. God made him weak through the sickness, through the thorn. But he said, I'll tell you what. What you lack in physical strength, I'm going to make up in spiritual strength. I'm going to give you the grace to, that you need to honor me. And that's the third. Remember, Jesus hates sickness. 
Jesus uses sickness, and your sickness is an opportunity to honor Jesus. Your sickness is an opportunity to honor Jesus. Right, one thing about being a child of the king is he is our king. We want him to receive all glory and all honor and praise, right? We no longer live for ourselves. When somebody becomes a Christian, they die to themselves, pick up the cross, and they follow Jesus. They follow him where he leads. And sometimes he leads you through sickness. Now, when you look at what happens when your typical person becomes sick, okay, Joe Blow off the street is stricken with some sort of chronic pain. Their normal response will be to always respond to that pain, right? And it makes sense, right? If you have, if you have uh, chest pain, you should respond to it, right? But let's say there's a pain that's just not going away. There will be a, a temptation to really build their life around trying to find a way to stop this pain. Doctors, research, consultations, alternative therapies. Do you know what I'm saying? And, and what can be lost in all of that is that the goal of life is not to honor Christ so much as to resolve this medical issue and this pain, right? Isn't that the temptation? I think we can all understand that. If you've ever been sick, you can understand that. So how, how do you make sure that you kind of stay the course and look beyond healing and honor Christ? Well, one, I think you need to be determined, resolved to yourself that you will suffer in a holy manner. You will suffer in a holy manner, okay? Now, there is a place for being realistic with pain. If you feel sudden pain, do something about it. If you have constant pain, obviously see a doctor, see if you can resolve itself. It is often a signal that you have to do something. There's also a place for lamenting the pain, right? Psalm 88, 6 through 7. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves, right? There's a place for lament. You take it to the Lord. But with pain, can we all agree that there are some temptations that are going to happen? Satan, who wants to steal, kill, and destroy, will try to use your pain to pull you away from Christ instead of help you to honor Christ. Some of the temptations might be self-pity, right? Why am I stuck with this and not somebody else? That can lead to maybe some jealousy. They seem to be healthy. They don't do anything for this church, but they have great health. Maybe comparing your plight to others. Yeah, they might be sick, but not as sick as I am, and you can kind of lose your sense of compassion for them. I mean, there, there's just a general lack of hope and grieving like the Gentiles who, who have know God, and you can even make it your identity, and I'll talk more about that a little bit later on. But can we agree that when you're sick, there are some temptations to pull you away from God and pull you away from the hope that's beyond healing? 
So one way to remedy that is be very, very careful with complaints. Philippians 2, 14 through 16. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Unless you're sick. Actually, that's not in there. (laughs) Do all things without grumbling and disputing. That ye may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights of the world. I mean, people who are undergoing tremendous physical suffering and don't complain are amazing, aren't they? That is amazing. How in the world can you be content with all that's going on in your body? I have a hope beyond healing. I know the Lord Jesus, and he's with me, right? What a testimony. But that gets lost with complaint. Does that make sense? Unholy complaining. There's a place for lament. There's a place to, I need to have this checked out. But you seek to glorify God by exalting him in your suffering. Secondly, seek to serve others. Seek to serve others. A lot of times when you are weak, you need help, right? You need somebody else to take care of you. You need somebody else to take care of your bedpan. They help you get dressed. To do all these other things. You can't go to the store. You need somebody else to get your groceries. And, and if you're not careful, you begin to really lean into that, embrace that, and your whole life is centered around trying to get other people to help you. Does that make sense? It's very natural. And you know what? As a church, we're always happy to help. We understand that that is our responsibility. But Jesus still says it is more blessed to give than to receive. The Bible still teaches in Philippians 2, 4 through 5, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And sometimes you might not be able to help people the way you thought you were supposed to help them. Right? You think if I was healthy, I could do this for them. If I was healthy, I can do this for them. But since I'm not, not healthy, I can't help them. Well, it might be that the Lord is redirecting your ministry to help them in a different way than you anticipated. Susanna Spurgeon was the wife of one of the most famous preachers of the 19th century, Charles Spurgeon. And I'm sure when she got married to Charles, she, she thought that I would travel with him, I would help him, I would greet him at the church, I'd help soften his image after a hard sermon. I mean, all the wonderful things that pastor's wives do. But through a series of health afflictions, she became an invalid most of her life. Couldn't leave the house. So do you know what she did? Her husband wrote a book called Lectures to My Students. And she thought, I need to get this book in the hands of every pastor in England. And so she started a kind of a fund and a foundation to get these books into the hands of poor pastors who couldn't afford it. And she distributed 72,000 books. Isn't that amazing? In nine years. She found a different ministry. She still sought to serve. Now, granted, other people had to bring her food, had to do all these other things for her, but she was still finding a way to give in the midst of the suffering. You know what that does? That gives you purpose, right? The Lord's called me for more than this. Isn't it great that I can advance his kingdom in this state? And thirdly, maintain your identity in Christ. 
when you're sick, the pain's all, always present, right? And if you're not careful, it could become the prison by which you see yourself and express yourself to others. When you get up in the morning, the first thing you think about is your sickness. When you go to bed at night, the last thing you think about is your sickness. When you meet somebody, you try to work in the fact that you have this sickness in your life so that they can understand you. You spend your time researching on how to deal with your sickness. You, you begin to have a fellowship with other people who share the same sickness at the exclusion to other people who don't get you. When people ask, how are you doing? You talk about your sickness. Does that make sense? If you're not careful, your sickness can become your identity and it's how you see yourself. And your hope is contingent on whether or not there might be a cure. Your happiness and your joy is contingent on how much the sickness is impacting your life today. Does that make sense? And by all means, getting rid of the sickness is great. I mean, Paul prayed three times, take away the sickness from me. But in the midst of the sickness, to have hope, your identity has to be focused on who you really are. Jesus doesn't see you as a sick person, and you're not going to be a sick person when you're in heaven. But this is who you're going to be. When he sees you, he sees you as complete in Christ, free from condemnation. You have the righteousness of Christ through Jesus Christ. You are chosen. You're a partaker of the divine nature. You are an adopted child of the king. You have everlasting life. You have abundant life. You have access to God through the Holy Spirit. You have Christ who is in you, is the hope of glory. You are a new creation. You're all those things. You're more than just somebody who's sick with this disease. Don't allow the sickness to define who you are. And don't base your whole life on trying to get this healing, right? You're going to get it. In heaven, all of us are going to be healthy and happy. We'll have that bliss. And maybe for those of you who suffered through this life, heaven might be a little bit sweeter for you than for others. I don't know. But you're more than sickness. And what God is doing right now is he's using whatever illness you have to prepare you for the kingdom of heaven and to narrow your life so that you can be more about the kingdom of heaven, so that you can proclaim the kingdom of heaven. In the midst of all this, our priority, by all means, be a good steward of your body. Go see the doctor. Go get the treatment. But don't let it define your life. Healing will come. Hope is offered. But to get this hope, you have to look beyond healing to the kingdom and to the king. Let's pray. Well, Father, we come before you, and I pray for anyone here who might be dealing with some chronic illness and sickness. I know many of my dear brothers and sisters have certain aches and pains, certain things that will never be resolved things that have been a difficult cross to bear. And I pray that they will be encouraged by this message, that you bear it with them, you are with them, and that they will find a real hope in the kingdom and in the king, that they'll look beyond their sickness to you. Lord, I pray that Christ's priority for us will be our priority as well, that we'll be all about the kingdom and that we will have hope in the midst of it, and that these things, these diseases that are used for evil will ultimately be used for good as we show ourselves to be a different people with different priorities.
Lord, I pray that we'll be a, a, a church that does help the sick and help the weak and that together you will be glorified in the midst of this cursed planet. And we look forward to that day when the clouds will roll back like a scroll, the trump will resound and the Lord will descend. And it will be well with our bodies and it will be well with our souls. In Christ's name, amen.